Today is part two in our series called The D6 Journey. The D6 Journey. All right? D6 comes from Deuteronomy 6, which is the foundational passage for how we do ministry here at Lake City as it relates to the family. So we're going to look at that passage again as we talk today about embracing church as family. Deuteronomy 6 is the foundation. Here we go. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. This is called the Shema, the great commandment, so to speak, of the Old Testament. It's actually a prayer that observant Jews pray two, three, even four times a day still today. And it's the foundation of much of our thinking about family ministry. Sometimes we think of Deuteronomy 6, we think of this passage as sort of a charge to parents to teach their children about their faith in God. And it is that, obviously. But Moses actually addressed this passage to all Israelites. In other words, to train up everyone in the community in their faith in God, to understand God's word, to have believe in him alone. And today I want to talk to you about what this means for us and what it means to be part of the family of God. Okay, including those who are singles and widows and widowers, every single one of us here in this room, and even those listening online, every single one of us, no matter our family status or our age, has an important role in the family of God. And so today we're going to talk about the church as your family. And by the way, many of these concepts uh, were part of a study that our leadership team did about eight years ago when we read Joseph Hellerman's book called When Church Was a Family. So I want to acknowledge that and refer you to that if you'd like to learn more, When Church Was a Family. It's a biblical concept that we all need to understand and embrace. The church is your family. Now, the Bible uses many metaphors for the church, but none are as common as the family. Other common metaphors include the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, but none are as common, used so frequently as the church, as family, the family of God. It's found on almost every page of the New Testament epistles, as well as throughout early Christian literature. And so we're going to focus on that this morning. First of all, I want to talk in historical and cultural terms regarding the, what the church is all about. Then I want to go back and look what Jesus, at what Jesus taught about the church's family. And then we're going to get super practical and discuss what it means to do life together as an authentic family. All right, so let me start with some basic relational realities as far as family in the New Testament world. Those who were living in that day when they read the, heard Jesus speak and read the epistles, what would they think when they heard about family? Family in the New Testament world is where we begin. And for some of us, this might be the most radical thing that you hear this morning. In Jesus' world, in Paul's world, the group comes first. Not the individual, but the group. Now some of you, if you're, especially if you're familiar with anthropology, you say, of course, that makes sense. That's obvious. 
You know, anthropologists over the years have studied uh, culture in all, all around the world and throughout history, and what they have learned is that there's this continuum. And on one end of the continuum are strong group cultures, and on the other end of the continuum are weak group cultures. And the Bible was written in a strong group culture context. See, at the time the Bible was written, and in the part of the world that the Bible was written, there was this very strong group culture, group think. In Jesus' world and Paul's world, the group came first. Not the individual, the group. And by the way, which end of that spectrum do you think that uh, most of us were raised in? We were raised in a much more individualistic or weak group culture. Most of us were raised in a very independent, independent context, a weak group culture. Okay, that's where the goals and the aspirations and the needs of the individual persons tend to take a priority to the groups and institutions in our lives. So think about your life, my life, all right? You may have a relationship with a school. You have kids in school, and the purpose is to educate your child or children to further their personal life goals. Or you have a church family, and the purpose might be to help in your thinking. It might be, I I, want to go to church to help me grow spiritually, to to develop my personal relationship with God. Sometimes in our families as well. Even there sometimes there's this sense in which people see the family as to further their own individual goals. Because many in America, for many the goal is to uh, socialize their children to be very independent. uh, Emotionally and financially to become very independent. And so most of us are very familiar with more on the weak group culture side of that spectrum. Because in America that tends to be the norm. However, the ancient Mediterranean world was a strong group culture. And unless we understand this, we miss much when we read our Bibles about the church family. In a strong group culture, the desires, the needs, the goals of the individual are second place to the honor and good of the group. I'm going to illustrate that, okay, with a movie that some of you may have seen, many of you probably haven't seen it, because it's 20 years old now. It's called Titanic, okay? So I know I'm dating myself a little bit at this point, but it's a classic, Titanic is a classic illustration of this cultural clash between strong group and weak group cultures. Because you have this young gal named Rose, who was a high society gal, and on top of the social ladder, and and Rose is riding in first class with her mom and with this dude she's engaged to. And the problem is that this guy is a total jerk. Okay, And she doesn't really want to marry him, but she feels obligated to marry him because apparently her father had squandered the family fortune and, and then died. And so Rose's extended family is in danger of losing their social status. And the only way for the honor and the good of the extended family to be preserved is for Rose to sort of set aside her personal needs and desires and marry this jerk that her family picked out for her to marry. Okay? Now Rose is out on the deck of the Titanic one night bemoaning her fate. And, of course, she meets Jack or... Leonardo DiCaprio, right? And Jack is this street kid who actually 
was on board because he won a ticket on the Titanic in a poker game. He's at the totally opposite end of the social class deal. And of course, they fall for each other. There's this very Western romance, you know, about meeting each other's needs. In fact, meeting a little too much of each other's needs, uh, but we're not going to go there. Anyway, here's this uh, American individualistic audience watching this, and you can just sort of sense in the theater, Rose, follow your heart, dump the rich guy, and marry Jack. You know, if that movie was shown in the first century Mediterranean world, they would have been horrified to think that for one minute, Rose would consider sacrificing the honor and good of her family for this dangerous fling just to satisfy her own personal interests and needs. Rose's family represents sort of this classic strong group mentality in a nutshell. And that is still, honestly, the norm in much of the world, if not most of the world today. So I'm not here today to argue which is better. What I'm saying is if we don't understand those differences in the background that our Bible was written in, we can't possibly comprehend what the Bible says to us about church family. Because both Jews and Christians in antiquity viewed life from that framework. And we have to understand this to understand the subject. And to understand that this means much, it explains much of the social power of the early church. So we're going to look at some passages of scripture in just a minute. But first I want to show you how the early church interpreted scripture as it relates to the matter of individual versus group. So this is a quote by one of the early church fathers by Cyprian. And he said this about our Lord's Prayer. So you know, the Lord's Prayer, Jesus taught his disciples to pray. And the Lord's Prayer begins with the words, Our Father. Okay, here's what Cyprian wrote about the Lord's Prayer. Before all things, the teacher of peace and master of unity did not wish prayer to be offered individually and privately as one would pray only for himself when he prays. We do not say, my Father who art in heaven, nor give me this day my bread, nor does each ask only that his debt be forgiven him, and that he be led in, not into temptation, and that he be delivered from evil for himself alone. Our prayer is public and common. And when we pray, we pray not for one, but for the whole people. Because we, the whole people, are one. That's powerful. And it tells us a lot about why the early Christians turned the world upside down. Now this doesn't mean that Cyprian didn't go into his prayer closet and, and pray to Jesus for himself. Of course he did. But it shows a mentality that's perhaps a little bit foreign to what you and I were raised in. Okay? Okay. So what about the rest of the New Testament? Well, if you look at the writings of the Apostle Paul, you'll notice that not only in his culture, but also in his theology, group came first before the individual. The group came first. If you do a computer search for family terminology in the New Testament, for example, this is what it tells us. In the 13 letters in our New Testament that Paul wrote, the word brothers and sisters occurs 139 times. 13 letters, 139 uses of brothers and sisters. The word father appears 63 times. 
And the word sons or children, as in sons of God, appear 56 times. So just like Jesus, Paul viewed the church as this surrogate family. He viewed God as our father, fellow believers as brothers and sisters in Christ. And because of that, he often wrote about our, his affection for them about the importance of unity and harmony in the church family and about the need to share resources with each other and about the importance of loyalty and commitment to one another. Paul was not interested just in getting a person individually saved to have a personal relationship with God. That was important. But it was also important what they were saved into. And to him, being saved meant becoming a member of the family of God, the church. Jesus, in his great work of redemption, didn't just establish a series of isolated people who now had salvation. Okay, Jesus was all about creating a family of sons and daughters, of siblings who are one in Christ. Because for Paul, as for Christ... The church is a family. Having said that, I want to back up historically and see how Paul's view was actually shaped by Christ. Okay, So let's consider next Jesus' vision for authentic church family. Jesus' vision for authentic church family. I'm going to skip over the Matthew 8 passage on your notes, and I'm going to jump right to Matthew chapter 10 for the sake of time. You know, we in, in uh, Western churches often make much about the gospel's ability to help us have healthy families, healthy marriages. We, we regard the good news of the gospel as truly family-friendly, right? But remember, Jesus often emphasized precisely the opposite of that. Jesus didn't shy away from the fact that following him sometimes undermines family unity, even divides family members against each other. So here's an example of that from Matthew chapter 10. Matthew 10, Jesus said this. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I've not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So according to Jesus Christ, following him has the potential to seriously affect family relationships. Even to the point of causing strife and discord. But that's not all. Not only did Jesus teach his followers to sort of reconsider their family loyalties, he modeled that behavior in his own family relationships. Look at Mark 3 with me, Mark 3, 31 to 35. And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those 
who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Those words spoken in the hearing of a large crowd were utterly scandalous in the day in which Jesus lived. And they are still troubling sometimes even to us today. See, Jesus makes a decisive statement here about true discipleship. Following Jesus involves a spiritual relationship that transcends the physical family that we're born into. One thing is certain. Jesus' faith family, he says, whoever does the will of God, Jesus' faith family replaces his natural family at the center stage of his relational priorities. Now, families are united by faith in Christ. So I'm not saying it has to be one or the other. Often, families are united by faith in Christ. But when push comes to shove, Jesus wants us to know he must be first. He must be first. A spiritual family must come ahead of natural family. Let me give you an illustration of that. One of our students in our high school ministry is named Jamari Jameson. And this past year, Jamari moved into a foster home of one of our church family members and started coming to church with his foster dad, Carlos Rivera. He also started coming to student ministry, to high school group, and he felt extremely uh, welcomed and uh, loved and accepted by our, our student ministries. Way to go, uh, students. And uh, as Jamari tells his own story, he says that he uh, grew up in a broken home He experienced a ton of pain and rejection early on in his early, you know, first uh, 16 years or so. He moved around a lot. He was in more than 20 foster homes before he landed in Carlos's home. And he he said, I was dealing with a lot of anger. When Jamari uh, came to Lake City and heard the gospel here, he put his faith in Christ. He trusted Jesus as his personal savior. And as Jamari puts it, I was looking for a family, and I desperately wanted to find a new family. But what God gave me instead was a church family. Here's a picture of Jamari. I think most of you have probably seen him, Jamari, and three of his new church family members, all right? That's on the mission trip uh, last month in, in Montana. I believe that picture was in Montana. Anyway, Jamari was part of the team that we sent to Montana last month. There he got the chance to share his entire story with the whole youth group, and then he got baptized in the river. And here's a picture of him almost a month ago today getting baptized in the river there by Pastor Caleb. Isn't that perfect? Love that. But I loved Jamari's statement. I was looking for a family, desperately wanted to find a new family, and what God gave me was a church family. Actually, what God gave him was both, but I just loved his perspective on that. Listen, everything is different when Jesus is in the mix. Life with Jesus changes everything, even the way we see family. What Jesus teaches us is that there's a biological family that comes through birth, and there's a spiritual family that comes through rebirth. There's a natural family that you're in by blood, and there's a spiritual family that you can be in by his blood. As someone said, family is more than blood. 
I saw that on a t-shirt this past week. I like that. Family is more than blood. Or another way to say it is blood makes you related, but love makes you family. You see, God wants each of his children in a church family. And he puts you in a church family to grow you spiritually and to develop your relationship with him. And so we're talking right now about Jesus' vision for authentic church family. And we saw that the Apostle Paul wrote a lot about that in his epistles. And he picked that up from Jesus himself. Jesus influenced the early church, the disciples, the apostles. That influenced Paul. Uh, Remember, as you think about all of this, the church is your family. So let's unpack that even more. Let's talk now about doing life together in the family of God today. And here's what I'm saying. That living... The faith together means adopting Jesus' vision for authentic Christian community. Okay? Jesus doesn't just save you and I to give us a personal relationship with himself. He saves us into a family to grow us so we'll experience all that he wants us to learn. And sometimes that involves our blood family, but not always. But we are always, always called to do life as Christian community, as a church family. In other words, Jesus never said, you know, thou shalt go to church. But rather he created a new community and then he put his people into it and encouraged them to do life together. They ate together and they learned together and they prayed together and did ministry together. They even fought together and competed with each other and washed each other's feet and on and on. Jesus is still calling us today, beloved, into church family. And he made this staggering promise that holds true. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 18. He said, wherever two or three of you are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of you. In other words, there's something special about community. Disciples don't get formed in isolation. And I want to close by looking at three aspects of this today. Authentic Christian community means, first of all, that we share our hearts with one another. We share our hearts with each other. When we look at the church in the New Testament, that we see that there was this very strong emotional attachment. Sure, they had conflicts. They were far from perfect. But there was also this relational closeness and intimacy that the Holy Spirit produced among them. So Scott Peck, a writer and psychiatrist, after converting to Christianity years ago, he began looking at God's plan for community, human community, and what kind of things that get in the way of that. And Peck said that what we long for, what we ache for, might be called true community, where people get authentic and real, where masks are taken off, where people show up, speak the truth, know each other, and are known by each other. I like the way Jesus spoke about it in in John 13. Jesus said this, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. But it wasn't just Jesus I taught that. Paul and the other apostles did as well. They wrote much about it in the New Testament. 
They wrote many exhortations to the early church about their relationships with each other in the church. There are 59 statements. We call them one another statements in the New Testament. That's right, almost 60 exhortations about how to do life together with one another. I want to read just a few of them, a few of these one another's, and I want to encourage you to, to do a Google search on the one another's and study them sometime in the near future. But here's a few of them that relate to sharing our hearts with each other. Pray for each other. Love one another deeply from the heart. Live in harmony with one another. Love each other deeply. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Live in harmony with one another. Love one another. That one is a dozen times about. Offer hospitality to one another. Confess your sins to each other. Carry each other's burdens. Serve one another in love. That's a common one as well. So clearly as brothers and sisters in Christ, in Christ's family, we're to share our hearts with each other. We're to grow in our love and appreciation for each other. But there's more. Because in real community, second, we also share our stuff with each other. Another basic value of authentic community is sharing our material resources. We share our stuff with one another. And the Apostle John wrote, it, wrote about it like this. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? See, sharing our stuff with each other is an evidence that we truly love God. That's what John said. You know, at Lake City, this happens in many ways. We have our benevolent fund for helping the needy in our church and, our, and in our community. We have our food bank, and a lot of it just goes on sort of behind the scenes, individually, between people. And we get the privilege of hearing little snippets and pieces of those kind of stories. But often, oftentimes, that just happens, and hardly anybody else even knows about it, which is a beautiful thing. But the early church got this. They ate together, they prayed together, they met together in each other's homes, and they shared with each other. Consider this portrait of church family from the first century. Dr. Luke wrote this in Acts 2. He said, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. And there Luke highlights four, four things that they were devoted to. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, that word actually means sharing or partnership. To sharing meals together and to prayer. Let's continue reading his snapshot of the early church. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshipped together at the temple each day met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. 
Again, notice the emphasis on how they shared their stuff with each other. So question, what was the result of that kind of community in the early church? Every day, God added to their fellowship those who were being saved. It was powerful. Here's one more portrait of the early church. Dr. Luke here summarizes it a little bit later in Acts chapter 4. He says, All the believers were united in heart and mind, and they felt that what they owned was not their own, so they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's great blessing was upon them all. There were no needy people among them because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. So understand this. They didn't live in a communal lifestyle. This wasn't early socialism. Okay? But they held their possessions lightly so that they could use them at any moment to help those that had needs. In authentic Christian community, we share our hearts with each other. We share our stuff with each other. Thirdly, we stay, we embrace the pain, and we grow together. We stay, embrace the pain, and grow together. So, just like there are no perfect human families, the church is much the same. There are no perfect church families either. In fact, it can be messy, downright messy sometimes being in a church family. We all wrestle with sin and with selfish behavior long after we're saved. And that's what makes it so difficult sometimes to live as family. But what the Bible says is we're to stay even when we're hurt. And we're to embrace the pain of relationships and to grow up together into the image of Jesus Christ. You know, sometimes we idealize what the church should be like. Listen, it was difficult for Paul in his day, and it's going to be difficult sometimes for us as well. We will likely experience as many failures as victories. It's not always easy to share life together in a human family or in a church family, nor should we expect it to be. For every story of doing it well, I'm sure we could probably hear a couple of stories of not doing it quite so well. We aren't always the family we want to be, but by God's grace, hopefully we're growing. But we apologize for when we're not. And maybe that's why so many of the one another's that we read in the New Testament deal with that part of relational life. Let me read a few of those. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Forgiving each other. Bear with or show forbearance with each other. Admonish one another. Teach one another. Forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Build one another up. Encourage one another daily. Spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Again, I'd encourage you to to take a concordance or grab your uh, computer and Google one another's in the Bible and and look up and read and look at the context of the many places where we read these things, these kind of things in in our New Testament. But I want to close now with a story that, that I share with permission. And it summarizes what we've been talking about today. What it looks like to live in true, authentic community with one another. This is the story that Nelia Kinney shared with me. Here's a picture of Nelia and her family. 
And this past year, she, uh, she's been going through some difficulties, and she mentioned that recently, and I asked her, would you happen to want to share that with the whole church family? And she said, absolutely. This is what she wrote. This past year, my kids and I have faced a very deep trial, but the love of our church has enabled us to make it through. This church family has carried our burdens with us in every way imaginable, from fun get-togethers and exciting activities helping take our minds off the pain, to providing meals, rides, childcare, and even helping with moving. This church has not shied away from stepping into the mess with us, listening, supporting, praying for, crying with, and encouraging us. It has made all the difference for me and my children. The members of Lake City are a bright reflection of God's love to each other, and I have been privileged to be a recipient of that. In reflecting back on our time at Lake City Community Church, I just have to add that our closest friends have developed either through small group or youth ministries. I would encourage people to get involved and to get their kids plugged in. They won't ever regret it. It is in those groups one finds an opportunity to serve and be served, to share pain, to carry burdens, to connect and become family. End quote. I love that. And that's just one example of several that, that I could share with you today. And I just have to say as I close today, I am so proud of you as a church family. Keep up that kind of loving and caring for each other, your brothers and sisters in Christ. And remember that any one of us could find ourselves at that same place needing that kind of support and encouragement. So if you're not plugged in to family, to relationships, deep relationships, don't wait any longer. Do something about it today. So here's application, some next steps I'd like to encourage you about. Number one is this. I acknowledge my own tendency toward independence. Many people have this sort of natural inclination toward independence. That's sort of the American way. There are many reasons for that, I suppose, but I just want to remind you it's not very healthy. It's not God's plan. Proverbs 18.1 reminds us this. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. It's it's foolish. It's not very good for us to isolate ourselves, to try to be too independent. Because we all need, God designed us to need the input and the support and the encouragement of others. Recognize that tendency toward isolation and push against it. Next step two. I will embrace Jesus' vision for authentic biblical community. Consider all that God has to say about our need for community and then open your heart up to it. Move toward it. Invest in it. It doesn't come uh, easy and, and natural. You do have to make an investment. It's not automatic. Whether you are single or married, whether you are young or old or somewhere in between, know that you need a church family and that we want you to be part of this church family, this spiritual family. We want to help you grow in Christ and we want you to help us grow in Christ and become all that God has for us. Others in your church family need that from you as well. Next step three, 
I choose to go deeper in authentic community. So don't just get into a small group, but choose to go as deep as you feel God would let you. Okay? And I want to encourage you to take the initiative to go deeper into community. Maybe that means for you uh, adopting a, a young family to be pseudo-grandparents for them, like many have done. Uh, maybe, you, maybe you're new here, maybe you're a military family and you don't have other uh, biological family nearby, then, then ask for help finding an adopted family to be part of, grandparents for your kids, whatever, whatever the case may be. Choose to go deeper in authentic community. But don't expect it to be perfect, all right? If you've been hurt in the past, this is hard, I understand that. Chances are it will be messy at times, but that's how God grows us often. Okay? Mark on your communication card today, I want to get in a small group, or I want to be in a Bible study, or how do I join a ministry team, get involved, take a step toward community. We're going to be signing up for small groups in just a week or two, aren't we, starting the the fall, maybe a few weeks very soon. So uh, get started now. You can, you can have the, uh, the, the, the first spot in line to get into a small group by, by marking that on your card today. For some of you, this might also mean going ahead and becoming a member of Lake City Community Church. We have a membership class coming up in, in, in October, so keep that in mind as well. You know, Jesus was constantly challenging people to a deeper devotion to God, to a, a closer walk with him. And friends, if you're not growing deeper and closer with Christ and with his family, you're really moving, probably moving backwards. Okay? Choose to grow and to go deeper in your relationship with Christ and your relationship with his family. They go together. And encourage others to do the same. And then finally, next step number four, I will embrace my part in the one another's of Scripture. I'll embrace my part in the one another's. Pick one or two of those one another verses that I read for you or look them up and pick one or two of them and pray that God would show you how to put them in practice in your life this coming week, this coming month. And again, for the most part, I just want to say thank you because you are doing this so well. But as Paul often wrote the early church, I want to exhort you today also to excel still more. Don't get complacent. Don't get comfortable. Keep up the good work. Keep growing. Paul wrote this in 1 Thessalonians 4.1. He said, Finally, dear brothers and sisters, we urge you in the name of the Lord Jesus to live in a way that pleases God as we have taught you. You live this way already, and we encourage you to do even more. To do so even more. So what he's saying is keep up the good work and keep growing at it. Listen, you are an unbelievable church family. You are such a joy for me to serve as a pastor. And I am blown away by the way that you love each other. You are incredible. Keep up the good work. Keep investing in community. It won't be perfect, but it will be so worth it. And even more important, it is God's plan for you. By the way, sometimes you have to keep trying. Keep working at it. Maybe you have to try several groups before you find just the right fit. So don't give up too easy, all right? Yeah, sometimes you have to keep inviting people to join your group or your Bible study or your social circle before they believe, yeah, they, they must really want me to be part, okay? 
So don't give up too easy. Keep trying. Well, friends, our worship service is going to end here today, at least after this next uh, song. But your church family doesn't end. So go out and be the church to one another this week. And know that I love you. And I'm so happy to be your pastor and to be part of this church family. Let's pray.